and welcome to the Every Woman podcast. I'm Anna, your host, and every month we'll be bringing you lively discussion and debate with inspiring women making a difference around the world, asking the questions you want the answers to and doubtless prompting some more in the process. So listen in to hear the stories, insights and opinions of those setting the pace and being the change. Today we're talking to pro big wave surfer Maya Gabeira, who along with being one of a small number of elite women athletes in a traditionally male-dominated field, also set the world record for the biggest wave ever surfed by a woman in February 2020 at 73.5 foot. And this was in Portugal at Nazar Beach. So welcome Maya. Thank you. So you are the world record holder for the biggest wave ever surfed by a woman. And if anyone wants to go and check out just how big this wave is, I mean, I, I recommend going online and I mean, it's, it's quite something. But what does that mean to you um, emotionally and, and practically? Oh, it means a lot um, for me as, you know, it was always my dream to establish the world record. Um, it, it was always something that I envisioned as uh, a lifelong goal for me in my career. Um, so to accomplish that was amazing. But also for me, you know, the ride itself and, and to feel um, the, the things I felt at that speed to feel the energy of that wave and to reach a point in my career and in my surfing that I can actually ride waves that tall, um, is quite incredible. Uh, it took many years. Uh, I've been, you know, professionally surfing big waves for almost, I think about 13 years. So it's very rewarding to see that I have devoted a lot of my time and, and many, many years to something. And then I have reached um, a level that for a long time, I thought it was, you know, unreachable for me as a woman. As a woman or as a surfer? As a woman, I think the level for the men was always so much greater than for us. It was, um, it's such a male dominated sport that it took a lot of, um, years and it took a lot of, um, believing in myself to get to the level, um, that I am today. Um, it wasn't expected, I think, of women to surf waves that high. It was a barrier to be broken. I mean, in terms of, of physically, there's no reason why a woman shouldn't surf waves as big as a man would surf them, is there? Is, is it more of a psychological thing? And like you say, the barriers around that, that world? Yeah, I think both. I mean, there is a physical um, advantage for men. I think in every sport that you use a lot of power and strength and there's a lot of speed involved in our, in our sport. So, of course, you know, like you see alpine skiing and like sports that are of high velocity, men usually have an upper hand um, just by their physicality. You know, there has been a, a, a huge um, help from the fact that in our sport, we do utilize the jet ski, which is a machine. And with that, we are able to close that gap somewhat. And then, of course, the mental challenge um, of a woman uh, being in an environment that 
you're supposed to be very brave to conquer those waves, right? And we believe in society that men are brave. Men are supposed to be the ones that um, have no fear, that face challenges, that, you know, can put themselves out there and get injured and come back up. And when you see a woman wanting to do that, there's a little bit of a resistance from society, when you see a woman, you know, um, putting themselves in a very dangerous place, you know, like choosing to be exposed to possible injury, possible even death in our sport. And um, so there's a, a certain resistance that comes. Yeah, so that barrier had to be kind of broken. I want to ask you, actually, just deltering slightly, what, what does it feel like to be on a wave that big? It's pretty amazing. It's um you know, there's a there's an amount of energy that the ocean has when it's um when it's that big and and that much water is moving and those waves are being created and breaking and the noise and the speed and I think you're very much in the moment. You know, it demands so much of your presence and um, I love that about our sport because it is so intense and it is so unique and and you know it's nature so it's always changing moving happening those are very intense special moments that take every instinct every focus everything you have to be to be there and to be reactive and to be um responding in a way that is hopefully as quick as the, those waves roll in. So, so it is, um, it is quite um, engaging. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine you probably don't feel more alive than in that moment when you are just about to. Exactly. Oh, incredible. So you did this amazing feat. You know, you, you've surfed the biggest wave that's ever been surfed by a woman. Uh, and presumably at one point you will go on to surf an even bigger wave, I imagine. But even though it was an incredible uh, groundbreaking moment for a female in the sport that you're in, it didn't really get a massive, uh, a lot of attention, did it? I know it took a while to verify the height, didn't it? The world record was only quantified 10 months later. But I mean, it, you know, if it had been something that a man had done, do you feel that it would have got more attention than it actually did? I know you got some attention in, in the, the press, but not in the sort of surfing press so much. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um... Well, I got a lot of attention on the mainstream, I think, especially mm. if you um, compare that with our sport as in general, you know, surfing doesn't hit the mainstream as often as tennis or football or other sports like that. Within the surf community, um, it didn't get as much of a recognition as um, you'd expect I'm not sure exactly why. Uh, maybe because it was my second world record and they were just like, oh, again. <laughs> or maybe they were just like, ooh, now you've just gone a little bit too far for our taste, you know. Now it's the biggest wave served by men and women this year, you know. Just slow down there. Yeah, Either one. <laughs> they uh, chose to to um, take little attention and um, and let it go by a little bit not so noticed. I think when you're breaking barriers and you're establishing a new set of standards for the sport, it is sometimes normal that the sport itself doesn't accept it right away or doesn't um, absorb it right away. And mm. and so I'm glad that somebody took notice. <laughs> it did uh, matter to, to the mainstream and um, 
to to people in general and to women. And it's it's there. It's in the history books. Nobody's going to take it from me. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, it, as as we've sort of said earlier, it's a very macho, traditionally macho sport. You're one of a very few number of pro big wave surfers, aren't you? That are female. Yeah, I must say now there are two. There are different types of surfing. We're talking big wave surfing here, so we're not talking about the surfing that is, you know going to be joining uh, the Olympics, uh, for example, fairly soon. This is hardcore surfing where you use the jet ski to go out beyond the waves, don't you? And then come in on this incredible water. I'm looking at my notes here. Male and female competitors only started earning um, equal prize money in 2019 for big wave surfing competitions. Is that right? Yes. And there's also a huge disparity in things like corporate sponsorship. I mean, these things must hold young, aspiring female big wave surfers back from entering and, and from being able to compete and, you know, and then change the culture of surfing. Yes. That, that sort of um, disparity in finances alongside the maybe traditional prejudice that still exists. In terms of a gender pay gap, if it was narrowed, what kind of effect would that have on female pro big wave surfing? Um, it, it shortened the possibilities of investment. If you think that way, um, you know, the more you make, the more you can invest in your equipment and traveling and coaches and all of that. So of course, um, with the man getting paid, uh, greater dollars, um, by their sponsors and, and the companies in general, um, it does make it more difficult for women to see uh, means and, and see reasons why I invest all their earnings into back to the sport, you know, because in the end, we also have to make a living. So um, we have less money to invest and therefore we have less money to invest on progressing and, and taking it further. You know, for, for younger girls, it not only makes it harder to start in the sport because, you know, if at the top level there's little investment, imagine when you're trying to get there. I mean, there's no investment. Um, yeah, it makes it more difficult for sure. It's less competitive as well um, because there's less women pushing in that area. I think uh, it has gotten a lot better. We have um, improved in the way that we have a bigger platform these days. We have more competitions. We have more awards. We do get paid um, the same on at least the competition level of things. And we just need um, the endorsements to follow that lead, you know, eventually. When you're in a competition, are you competing against other surfers or other women? Uh, other men, yeah on the competition so every everyone so you go in as a surfer it's not a sort of a gendered um no uh, not in toe surfing no no so yeah so it, it stands to reason if you're competing on equal terms i mean the logic is there isn't it <laughs> you should be being paid on equal terms being sponsored on equal terms and have those equal uh opportunities to progress i mean i'm interested in how i mean how did you get into big wave surfing and uh, you know how does a young woman or a young man actually get into big wave surfing is it like a call from the ocean or you know because you can't really coach it I guess or it's not something you do at school I moved very early to Hawaii I was 17 um, in search of good waves and experience and English and all those things I wanted to be abroad from Brazil and with that I fell in love with big waves and started really um, seeing a possible path for me in that direction. Not so much professionally yet, but 
a little bit. I had a little bit of a vision, you know, that that was a niche in surfing that was completely unexplored by women. And I thought that there was going to be a lot of potential in the years to come in the future. So that's how I started. I started basically borrowing boards at the age of 17, paddling out at Waimea um, with older friends, male and and then um, slowly started being uh, mentored by different men, different friends, older friends, and and that's how I started. In terms of young female surfers, big wave surfers coming up, I mean, is it is it the case that you know you come to it, um, you know, in kind of personal ways or quite random ways? There's no sort of academy where you can learn to big wave no. surf or no <laughs> so again you've got to have that incentive to to bring through professionals haven't you to bring through young people who are going to commit their time to do this yes well what happens um a majority of the young girls are coming from hawaii and they're young girls they're always in the ocean all their friends start to surf bigger waves. They're part of this community and they get the support and encouragement from their friends um, to go out there and explore those waves these days. So there's a lot of um, younger girls coming out of Hawaii now um, that surf big waves. We don't see that that much here in, in Portugal and Europe. Um, we have amazing, actually, big wave surfers here these days. They're very focused in Nazare, but they're all, you know, late 20s, early 30s. So they're already like a, a different generation. But the young, young ones that I see, they're like the future of the sport are the ones that, that are growing up in a community that is very connected to the ocean and does, you know, wind sports in the ocean and toe surfing and paddle surfing and they're in that environment. So they either have parents, you know, a dad that surfs Jaws and takes the, the daughter under their wing or they have uh, friends from school or a boyfriend, things like that. Mm-hmm. And now they have some amazing female role models as well. I mean, you must... Uh, play a massive part in inspiring people to want to take their sport forward uh, for a young woman uh, surfing. I mean, how important do you think it is? Did you have a female role model when you were starting out? I had, I had, but I didn't have like the, they didn't have a, a professional success, mm. but I looked up to them as surfers um, because they charged and they were brave women and they were putting themselves out there, but they didn't have like a career I could um, mirror. Mm. So the career part I had to create for myself because I did actually become the first female big wave surfer paid um, in the sport. So, but I did have role models like Kayla Canley at the time, Jamila Starr, girls that were pushing the boundaries of the sport in waters and dangerous waves. And now you've taken that forward to the next step. <laughs> yeah. To the more professional. <laughs> Absolutely. Let me just ask you, um, let's just talk general surfing. Uh, what's the difference in mentality between normal surfing and big wave surfing and you know what is it about the latter that you particularly love 
Does does normal surfing feel a bit tame to you? No, I love normal surfing. Okay. I absolutely <laughs> love perfect waves. But, you know, I would never get paid for them because I'm not that good. <laughs> and that's not my main focus. So um, I, I couldn't be, you know, a professional surfer on the tour and compete 12 times in the year in all different kind of waves. Um, that is not me. So I had to kind of um, hold on to what I thought was more um, realistic to me professionally and also what I thought I had more talent to. They're different. They're different. You know, a, a professional surfer that's on tour has to be somebody extremely competitive. Um, there is, you know, a lot of turns, a lot of um, different maneuvers you have to practice. You have to surf in every condition. I was always very picky. I always wanted the very perfect waves. I wanted to travel. I didn't want to grind on, you know, average waves to, to be the best on any condition. Mm. I wanted to be the best in a very particular condition. So that kind of <laughs> already put me on another category. And, you know, with big waves, I think it's, to me, is the challenge. To me is the beauty, the, the intensity, the magic that I see with, you know, when the waves are huge. Uh, to me, there's something special there that is memorable and it's unique and it's um, rare that I really enjoy to be part of and to prepare for those days and to take the most that I can out of those days, you know, so ride and, and ride as many waves as I can and ride as well as I can and and be a part of that magic moment that usually really just lasts a day. It's that peak, mm -hmm. you know, when the swell arrives and, and hits the coast and those um, lines come in and, and break perfect waves. So yeah, it's more of a, it's, it's a, it's, those are very different sports. And, and there's also, you know, a, uh, love for speed. You know, I love the speed of those giant waves. I love the noise. So yeah, it's very different. God, it's amazing. What's what's top speeds can you get up to? I think over here we we may be doing like up to sixty five kilometers an hour. Wow, that's extraordinary. Yeah, it's very fast. <laughs> yeah. yeah, my God. I mean, your your evident love for the sport and and uh, for the sport and for you know the connection that you have to it and your record as well is is even more sort of stunning and notable. Um, uh, because in twenty thirteen you nearly drowned, didn't you, after a serious wipeout at Nazare? Yes. Um, in terms of facing your fear and just pushing yourself beyond your experience, I mean, how did you do that to get back to your sport? How did you push yourself past that? Patience, <laughs> a right. lot of time, a lot of dedication. You know, I, I really uh, try to disattach to outcomes, to goals, to results. And I really... Um, focused myself on the path and the everyday challenge of overcoming everything that I had to overcome to get back to the top. And for most part, I had no idea if I was ever going to reach the top again. Um, so it was more about just, you know, how can I get back to surfing big waves? I mean, can I get back to surfing big waves? So every day I had challenges, you know, I had a lot of injuries to overcome from that accident. I had a lot of, a lot of, um, emotional trauma. So it was, 
it was busy, you know, <laughs> although I was not performing as a top athlete, I was very busy trying to get back to the confidence and to the physical ability that I once had. And then, of course, on top of that, surpass what I once had because um, my accident was basically the first time I ever served Nazare, and Nazare was you know, in the very begin of the exploration of this wave. And it was a new standard and a new place for the sport that would, you know, hold every record since and have a lot of attention from our sport. So I not only had to get back to where I once was, but I also had to improve enough that I would, um, be a successful surfer here, which, you know, obviously after my accident being the first experience I had here on a big day, a lot of people doubted that that was a place that I should be at all. So um, those two things combined kept me very busy for years until I I actually realized that I was um, going in a direction of full recovery and that um, that's what I wanted and I could possibly do it again. Does it help that technically there's no such thing as the same wave, is there? Every wave is different. I mean, when you were approaching waves and you were building your way back into being able to surf big waves, you know, did you look at it that way or did you see it as just a sort of a a, a, a holistic thing that you had to do? Or did you take each wave as it came uh, as you were getting back to full health? Yeah, I was taking what I could from uh, all the experiences, like, if I couldn't surf, then I would be on the cliff doing the radio part for the team. And then I would learn, you know, by doing that. And then if I couldn't surf, but I could drive the ski, then I would be doing the rescue and improving my driving skills. And then, so I kept improving on all different angles of the sport, but just not performing as a top athlete but that really gave me a lot of time to um, put a lot of the pieces together that I think I needed to build up my confidence again and to be better than before Um, I learned a lot by not being at top shape and not having the the possibility of just focusing on my performance and being able to look at the big picture and just be involved in very different roles in the sport and and that helped me a lot um but you know it was never a guarantee that I was gonna get back and surf those huge waves again so I was Mm -hmm. just kind of um, accepting the limitations and working within the limitations to get the most out of it. What did you learn then from having to take steps back in order to go forward? Well, my, my skills, my driving skills improved tremendously. My ocean reading improved tremendously. Um, my understanding about the wave in Nazare improved a lot. And, and in the end, I think I was able to peak as an athlete when I wanted and when it felt right, but I was able to not crush myself and my soul when things didn't go my way. Mm. I became very forgiving with myself, which was very different than I was before as an athlete and as a person. And I think for some reason, being kind to myself and forgiving myself for, 
you know, not performing or not conquering, not winning, really it made a big difference. Um, mm. It made when I achieved um, things like very fluid and, and very, uh, maybe, maybe my instinct, I don't know what it was, but it just, it just made things happen at the right timing. You know, I stopped pressuring and uh, forcing things and I started allowing things to happen more in their own timing. And that really brought me amazing results. That's incredible. It's a different state that, that you moved into. I mean, obviously, you know, you've, you've smashed first goal, but you, you've got more goals to come, haven't you? I mean, do you want to hold the record for the biggest wave ridden irrespective of gender? How big is that that one? How, how, how much more have you got to ride? It's 80 feet. Okay. So it's not that much, is it? It's... Yeah, it's, you know, another seven feet. Not that much. No. <laughs> yeah, it's doable. It's doable. I mean, you talk about the place of acceptance and allowing that you're in now. So I don't know how you sort of think when you when you think of your goals, whether you're sort of like, right, I'm doing that. Or you're like, no, I'm I'm going to be who the best I can be and see how it goes. But is it something that you'd like to do? Yes, I'm always like that. Um, I already feel extremely privileged to have been able to achieve something um, so difficult, I think, in sports, which is breaking the gender barrier, even though for a second or uh, 40 seconds, whatever it, it took for me to ride that wave, you know, it, it, it is incredible. It's something that I that I hold very close to my heart because, you know, I did have to deal with, with gender um, inequality for my whole career. So to suddenly um, put that and, 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 uh, and surpass my male peers for a few seconds, it's quite special. I didn't really have, you know, like I said, since my accident and all the, the years that I had of struggling, I never really had you know, something that if I didn't do it, I would be bummed. Like, I would love to get a world record. And then, of course, I would love to get a second world record. And then, of course, I would love to break, you know, the 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 male world record right now. But, and, and, and that is why I train every day. That is why I'm out there every day as long as I can. That is why I'm a dedicated athlete. But you know, if it's not meant to happen, I'm okay with it because I, there is something in surfing, especially in big wave surfing, that it's not only about us athletes. You know, it's a wave. It's a, mm. it, it, there is a force of nature in the equation. And if it comes for you and it happens, it, you know, it's a blessing, but there, it, it's just not something you can force. And I don't want to have that type of frustration on top of a goal that I am prepared to, to set that new record, but then the wave doesn't come. And then what can I do? You know, I can only do my part. So I'm prepared. I'm ready. I think I'm evolving as an athlete. I think I still haven't peaked, but whether I'm, I am or not going to break a world record, I'm not sure. I was going to ask you what the ocean had taught you through your life. And it sounds very much like, again, it was that it's that sort of acceptance that there are some things that are out of your control. I mean, would you agree with that? If you had to sort of sum up what the ocean has taught you? That's definitely one of the things. <laughs> that is definitely one of the things. Um, accepting and 
um, trying to be as accepting and as grateful. You know, being grateful has been like a, a very huge humbling lesson too, you know, since um, uh, that was my first emotion when I woke up on the beach um, after being resuscitated. Um, it was how grateful I was, you know, that I did have a second chance. And, and, uh, and then patience. And I also learned that within every limitation that's put around us for different reasons, there's always something we can do. And so, you know, I, I, I always try to focus a lot on like the small things, you know, the little things, the little um, victories and the little challenges and you know, so I try to take a lot of um, the grandiosity away from like this one record and then the second record, because I do think that, you know, it's it's every day that counts. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you do everything just for that one thing, like it's a big waste of life. You know, I don't want to waste my life. Like I want to live every day, you know, when there's no records, when there's no waves, when there's waves when there's big waves. Like <laughs> if I don't take every minute and every day with like a lot of appreciation, I just feel like whatever I achieve in the end is not going to mean that much. Mm. So, I mean, my last question was going to be, you know, what would you like your legacy to be? And I suppose it's it's a really interesting thing as to what one considers one's legacy is, you know, whether it is the big awards and the world, you know, world titles and the, you know, all of that, or like you say, just that inspiration to be the person that steps up and gets in the water and does it and lives it and is present. So, I mean, in terms of your legacy, when you think, I mean, you've got loads more sort of stuff to do but at the moment what would you like your legacy to be you know I, I would like to inspire people to search for what they want to do for how they want to live life and you know really think outside of the box you know we have the tendency of following up and like seeing what somebody else is doing and then going and doing kind of that and it is important for us to try since a young age, actually, um, to look inwards and really define like what is, who are we and what we want. Because in the end of the day, that's what's going to make us most happy and satisfied. We have to inspire people to really kind of discover themselves, you know, because the more they know themselves, the better they're going to do in the world and the more they can contribute, you know, and and we're all different. And we should all be inspired to really create our own path and be unique. Be different. Be different. (laughs) (laughs) Maya Gubira, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. 